Brothers Podcast. Brothers Podcast. Brothers Podcast. So I'm sure you guys saw what happened in Charlottesville over this past weekend. For those of you who don't know, uh, a bunch of essentially neo-Nazis, white supremacists, or how they rebranded themselves, the alt-right and white nationalists, essentially went to the campus of the University of Virginia to protest. Probably part of this conversation can be about how there's a Robert E. Lee statue on a, a, a university campus, but, you know, that's the reason why they were actually protesting. They were protesting because they're not winning enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on a losing streak. So, what, what were y'all, um, you guys' reaction to it? I, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember what my initial reaction was to it because it was not shock, but at the same time, I was still surprised. Like that, this, this was, this was my concern whenever Trump got elected was the emboldenedness of those who elected him. And those that he seemingly seems to represent, or he actually does represent, um, how they would react. Not so much what he would do, although he is trying his best to go to war with North Korea. Um, side note, I had to, I was actually just on Facebook chat, check, checking on my dude that is stationed in Guam. So, just make sure that he's good, seems to be in good spirits. Anyway, um, this was my concern, is that people... Like, more of this would happen. Like, we're back. The left can't have their control anymore. The death of political correctness. All this kind of stuff that they mask it as is just just racism. Like, all people who are closet racists are now feel bold enough. Like, these these guys felt so bold. None of more sheets. Like, the KKK is still a thing. Ku Klux Klan is still a thing. They could have done this protest in sheets. Nah, they wore sunglasses at best. Now that backfired on some of them, but the fact that they felt, yeah, right. Like I think I heard on the radio today, there's people who started like Twitter accounts. Yeah, that is true. Solely dedicated to putting their information out. That is true. There's a Twitter account. Yes. Security or anything, but enough so that their employers would know, Hey, this person works for you. Just FYI, you yeah. have neo-Nazis working for you. That is very factual. I think people have been doing like the Google Google image search, finding their Facebook pages, finding you know where they work at and stuff like that. So they've been contacting employers, contacting the schools. One guy who was like on the uh, one of the papers or you know one of the front pages of one of the websites stated that he didn't know that it was going to be that widely disseminated. And he said, "I'm not the racist that <laughs> you make me out to be." And of course, he's, you know, looking all angry, carrying a tiki torch, which is ironic. I don't know if you guys saw the memes about yeah. them having tiki torches. <laughs> Absolutely. I saw, that, I saw that tiki put out a statement. Yes, they did. They, they, they definitely did. So, kind of my initial, like, reaction, it was kind of to Wyatt's point, surprised that they, they were so bold to, like, just have their face shown. But also, this wasn't just an overnight thing. This was scheduled, it was planned, there were permits, and there were zero cops. It wasn't the outshowing of cops that showed up, you know, for comparison's sake, to Ferguson, to here in Charlotte, um, when, when things happened. And those things happened almost in a drop of a dime compared to something that you requested a permit for. 
especially with the climate, the political and social climate right now, you would think the city would have responded more and actually prepared for it. I don't know if that was by willful ignorance or that they didn't feel the need to because this was the white right side or, or whatever. But that was the shocking part to me that it was almost left up to them to fend for themselves. I think I think the wildest part and this is the somber well the whole thing's kinda somber, but this is the most somber note of it all, is that in the whole situation when one of the neo-Nazi individuals actually decided to act on the words that he was saying, the person that he killed was a white person. That was the sad, one of the saddest and, and definitely the most ironic thing of, of them all. He, drew, he normally drew in, drove into a crowd of counter-protesters and the individual that got struck down, unfortunately, happened to be a white person. So now the I don't I don't know what that will ultimately do in the long run, but I think that it shows that it's not just black people marching against against mm-hmm. this stupidity and kinda of going into another kind of display. First of all, Durham is live. Um, live as can be. Um, the persons of Durham County, Durham City tore down a Confederate statue of their own free will and volition with the police standing there. They did not stop them. <laughs> Didn't try. They did, I think four of them have been arrested now. That is true. Yeah, because, well, yeah, I mean, you knew that was coming <laughs> because technically it's against the law. But the fact that the cops didn't stop them in the moment, I think was was interesting. Anywho, um, but if you look at that video, granted, the I believe young lady that climbed up there was African American, but a lot of the people that were there were not. And I think that's um, a that's a greater point, Wadi, um, because this is what's important. This is what we need to emphasize to our white friends. Like we can't do this alone. We can't make these changes alone. There were, you know, white people marching with Dr. King, um, white people in the '60s, and you know, on so on, that supported and railed out against racism and prejudice. And I think it's important that we try to call out our friends that are problematic or say problematic things. And it's important. I think I saw the best tweet I saw or maybe Facebook post I saw was I don't want to see any uh, white politicians going to any black churches this weekend uh, on Sunday. They need to please go to their white churches. Please, please don't go to any black churches. And, and, and the thing with this is, it's not a white black thing. It's not a Jewish Christian thing. It's a right versus wrong thing. If you ever in history on the same side as Nazis, you're on the wrong side. And Barrett, to your point, to your point, how do you blame both sides? <laughs> how do you blame both sides? I don't know. I don't know. Like, if, if you're on the side of the Nazis, you're on the wrong side. No matter what, if you did come there um, for that Nazi side of it, if you believe what they believe, which is fundamentally that races are... One race is superior to others, you're on the wrong side. Bro, to to put it bluntly, if you're on the side of Nazis, like we went to war. The entire world went to war. 
for this very thing. Like, I don't, I don't, like, it, this seems pretty simple. Um, but the most direct to the point thing I saw, and I reposted it on uh, Instagram, is that you, you can't be a proud American and a Nazi. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Like, they can't go together. They, they're fundamentally opposed. We, like, again, we went to war over those two different Systems. And, and to your point, the flags that they're raising, the flags that have one, the Nazi flag, which we went into war over, like Whitey said, like Barrett said, the entire country, the entire world <laughs> went to war <laughs> over this fact. And the other flag you're, you know, waving proudly that you're claiming is for states' rights and protect our land and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was another war over that that you lost. Yep. So, in, in, in other words, in war, you don't get participation trophies or statues. You know, <laughs> just be just because you were there, it doesn't mean that you're commemorated afterwards. It, it doesn't work like that. No. And sorry, and sorry, not to sorry. go along with the you you don't get participation awards for war for, and I I think this comes from a particular uh, group of people. I feel like. If we were to do a Venn diagram of, of people that are Confederate loyalists and believe in those monuments and everything, and people that say people should get over slavery, there's going to be a lot of overlap. I don't think it's going to be any overlap at all. I think it's going to be just one circle. It, it, yeah, more than likely. I, I figure there might be one or two people that fall out in the frame, but more than likely, it's going to be a whole lot. You can't tell people to get over slavery. But y'all erect monuments to a war you lost. And the thing that's so interesting to me about this whole situation is how some people on that side that, you know, on the wrong side, because if you're on the side of Nazis and white supremacists, you're on the wrong side. I don't I don't know any more way to put that any bluntly. But the thing that gets me about that is they're comparing other groups to put them on the same playing field. So they're comparing essentially Black Lives Matter to white supremacists. For the record, Black Lives Matter is not a terrorist group. That is a fact. Or a hate group. There is no way possible that Black Lives Matter is a hate group. Fundamentally, they are working against hatred and discrimination and oppression. Okay. I was reading things. It's really what they said about the Black Panthers. The, the, the exact same thing. Now... There is a sect of the new Black Panther Party that is listed um, within hate groups and things like that by the the, the Southern Christian um, group, but that's because they have different, very different beliefs than the actual Black Panthers Party. So I think that's where people start getting these things confused, where just because you are pro-black in a sense, that you're automatically a hate group. There's a there's a large difference between being pro-black and being anti-anything else. There's there's a significant difference. But I mean, it's it's a it's a tactic. It's a tactic that is used to that was used to and still is being used to lump people together. And you you paint a caricature of a person of a group. And then you just, you, as soon as anybody falls close to that description, 
you pile on descriptors that lump them into that group. So if if you're a black man, then you you make them sound more dangerous than they are. You make them sound bigger than they are. You make them sound stronger than they are. <clears throat> you make them make. That's what they did in the the magazine cover of OJ when he got arrested. You remember he was essentially this uh, you know this hero basically, and you know he was one of the first black athletes that was actually marketed. I mean he you know had a hurts you know go OJ go or run OJ run. I forgot how it went. But essentially, when he got arrested, they actually like darken his mugshot and make him look blacker, darker, basically. Yep. yep. And they're doing the same thing with our groups. Like you take, you take a group from an era where things were were different, <laughs> were more openly violent, and even in that time, that group was demonized more so than they actually were. Granted, they were a more violent group, but you had you had COINTELPRO, which is a real thing. And if if any of our listeners aren't aware of what COINTELPRO is, there's a library and Google all available. Please check it out. Um, but it, it basically, they demonize this one group, and then you lump everything together. Like you you present you present the world with an example of what this group is supposed to be like. And then anything else that comes by, it's like a magnet. You throw it right at it. And that way you have, it's much easier for people to process one understanding individual thing as something different. So it's, it's, it's a tactic that's been used forever to lump groups of disenfranchised people together to vilify them. And honestly, I think it takes people understanding how we got to this place to begin with. Like, I don't think sometimes people question enough, why are we saying white? Why are we saying black? These aren't descriptors that were used, especially when this country was, was even founded. So like, just to take a step back, when this country was first, you know, when the colonies were first started, it really was that there were only two classes. The you know, whites, but then their indentured servants. Blacks and the indigenous servants were on the same level as slaves. But the problem became they started to band together and rebel at their conditions and, and things of that nature. So the easy way to, to counter that is create a three-tier system where now white people are on top of everybody, uh, of blacks essentially, and that takes away a lot of the strength that, you know, blacks will have to, to rebel. That's why white people even refer to themselves in a race to, to begin with, because of that kind of ideology that was created. That's why when you really think about it, all of this is because of those original ideals that now, hey, if we can keep this group down, then we can become more profitable. We, we can run our businesses without any labor, essentially. And we all are better for it. But as long as you're better than those blacks, you're good. Woke That's thoughts. where all of this started and why. Stay woke, stay woke. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to see you guys talk. And I think uh, Wadi brought up something I've been thinking about for a while as far as the lumping together as he so eloquently put it, of categories. And it's really, it's a tactic and it's like a defense mechanism if you think about it. If you can convince, because all of these, like, the old neo-Nazi, and then there's the alt-right, and then there's 
all these subcategories of I don't know what they're called these groups they all they all all weren't on the same page before <clears throat> I mean it's not it's not often that they were marching together and all on one accord or whatever but when they look and they see you know all these Black Lives Matter um, protests or organized meetings and stuff like that and they see the numbers of these people and these different types of people that are kind of gathered together and like all standing for the same thing it gets intimidating to them so what they then have to do is what Whitey says is kind of tell these other folks that aren't on the same page as them but could be they can use as a resource they kind of have to influence everybody else to say hey look what these guys are doing look what they're doing over there we need to we need to band together we're 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 over here we need to you know link up and do whatever so i think that's what this was an attempt to do is to is to play the numbers game um and i think we're going to see a lot more people trying to play the numbers games as far as random organizations that nobody ever heard of i mean we've heard of the ones we're talking about but it's gonna be i think it's gonna be more kind of this joint force this quote unquote just because people are starting to get afraid of i'm not sure what they're afraid of but people are starting to get afraid of someone coming in and replacing them or taking over their job or whatever it is that they claim right to. This is all. Uh, those are good thoughts. Definitely great thoughts from Scotty. So all this was going on this weekend, and we're, you know, as a nation, waiting on a response from our commander-in-chief. Nope. 45. 45. Excuse me, name. All right. Well, uh, he doesn't do politically correctness, so I'm not going to do politically correctness either. <laughs> the guy in office <laughs> that lost the popular vote by <laughs> $3 million folks came out and stated that there was many uh there was a lot to blame on both sides now as we stated before there are only two sides here there's a good side and there's a bad side whatever side they're on if you need to ask yourself which side um is a good side and a bad side and maybe you shouldn't be in office in the first place but well, that's how they'll be in the office so i mean yeah, yeah yeah exactly so i've had a conversation with somebody at work about the exact same thing and I don't understand why people are surprised. It's almost getting to the point where it's getting frustrating or annoying to me that people act so shocked or shocked or appalled or whatever when uh, y'all president, sorry, y'all president, um, <laughs> whenever the guy who's in office does something off the wall. Like, this is somebody who has consistently done <laughs> off the wall things for years. So just because he becomes president doesn't mean he all of a sudden he's gonna stop doing off the wall stuff. It doesn't work that way. You don't, you don't put, a toddler in 12th grade and expect them to learn to know everything. Like, you can't take someone who's been doing consistently the same stuff before our lifespan and expect them to get in office and all of a sudden get some sense about themselves and all of a sudden start caring about rights and you know, he never cared about that stuff. He's always cared about what can make him money, what can be profitable, what can put himself and his family in the best situation. And that has not changed. Look at the hotels that he conveniently has visitors of the White House saying and you know like little I mean, everything that is done is to put himself in a better financial situation. So if you look at it like that, then you're no longer surprised by what he's doing. I, I mean, if you're mad at anybody, don't be mad at him for being true to himself. Be mad at the people who who decided to put him in office. <laughs> or didn't decide or decided to not go and vote to prevent him from going to office. And those are the people I'm, I'm actually more mad at than anybody else. The people that set out the election and the people that um, contested, uh, well, made the protest votes. I mean, I know a couple of people in North Carolina that I know 
that they wrote in Michelle Obama. Wow. <laughs> they wrote in Michelle wow. Obama. <laughs> So, to counter to Scott's point, he he's all about a win. He doesn't care <clears throat> the method that he gets there. All he wants to do is win. So, for him, he has to keep the white supremacist supporters that he has, because that was what got him in office, if he ever wants to get anything, get, essentially be liked at this point. I, I don't really think he cares about actual legislation. He just wants to be liked. Um, and because he is a celebrity more so than a businessman to me. But I think that the part that is so frustrating is how he manipulates things so easily and almost effortlessly. Like how he, he's talking about Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, George Washington owned slaves, then are we taking down their statues? Which is the biggest false equivalency to what's going on. But there are people within that sect that are actually believing that is a strong argument. They have no justification to compare those two things. Um, they're completely different. But that's what he's using to kind of incite more of this divisiveness. It, it really got us, it helped get us to this point right now. And that's a good point. And one thing that I think is clear, I mean, it, it was clear probably the moment he got elected. No matter what he does in the office, his supporters are going to support him no matter what. I mean, I think that was one of the statements he made in his campaign speech. He could shoot somebody on uh, what, Wall Street, and he he would probably yeah. go up in the points. I disagree with that. I'm going to tell you why, um, Kendall. Which part? Scott, I'm glad you brought it up. That's one thing he could do. He could tweet right now, Black Lives Matter, and he'll lose support. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's exactly where I was going. As long as he can defense and not commit to, to saying something negative, about his supporters, he has them. But the moment he goes and, and jumps to the other side and says something that completely, you know what I'm saying, nips it in the bud and cuts off ties, then they're gonna they're gonna back away. But until then he can kinda, you know, play play the fence to kinda do what he's doing. Kinda give these half roundabout answers and say, Yeah, it was wrong on both sides or say, Yes, yeah, you guys you know, it, like it, it had to been a stern look look in the eye, yeah, you you're wrong, stop. He hasn't done that, <laughs> and he won't. And, and people, people underestimate this guy. I think people don't realize he's just because he's not articulate doesn't mean he's not intelligent. And I think people assume that they're always going to be the same thing. I think a lot of times he knows, he, like he knows how to how to get by, or at least somebody who's in his ear knows how to get by, order to get, you know, to do the least amount and still keep it supportive. But like Kenneth said, the moment, the moment he goes and puts that <laughs> Black Lives Matter tweet up, watch what happens. How long do you think that, that he'll he'll have that support given that he hasn't really done much in the time he's been president? I know it's been, what, six, seven months now? <laughs> but he hasn't really done anything other than talk. Well, he's tried to do things uh, like a immigration or Muslim ban failed, tried to do health care failed. So he's tried, it just hasn't gone the way that he really wanted to. I think he'll continue to you know, try to push his agenda forward, but it doesn't matter really if it works or not, because he'll immediately pivot to blame somebody else for why it didn't work. So he'll never take 
the the credit or, or the blame rather that something went wrong. But if something goes right, he'll take the the credit on Twitter ten seconds after it happened. That's true. I think and I think initially his everything that he tried to do within the first hundred days, he, like you know he promised to do all this stuff within the first hundred days. Obviously, it didn't work. Uh, he he immediately ran to oh the Democrats is, is 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 blocking everything, blocking our progress, blah blah blah. Now you're starting to see even his his own party starting to turn against him. So I'm I'm just really curious as to how long it's going to be before the majority, or if it even if even if it even happens. How long before the majority of Republicans are just gonna be like, yo, I, you're way too toxic for me to be, for us to be tied to, so we're just gonna escort you on out there, sir. So here's my thing: there's gonna be two different levels of reaction to to Trump as a whole. So from a Republican in office standpoint, yeah, I think they're gonna get tired of him because they're gonna have, they have to deal with him right in terms of when he does dumb stuff or represents them poorly or makes questionable decisions there's enough people that realize hey we can get to the people in office in terms of they have town hall meetings we can go to their offices we can write them letters like they actually have to deal with people trump does not have to now on the flip side republicans who voted for trump they don't really have to deal with that. Like they can still live in the disillusion of, you know, we they want the win, right? I know we talked about this a long time ago on the podcast. It's for the look. Like their guy won. So a lot of them who don't have a strong moral ground to stand on or an uncompromised one, they'll stick with it. They'll just roll with it. Like whatever he says, ah, uh, you know, he's not political. Uh, he talks off the cuff, you know, he's passionate, blah, 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 just to, to put up an excuse for all the dumb nonsense that he says. And really it's a situation where this guy's pretty much living his, his book that he wrote, Art of the Deal. He's selling, he's upselling everything. Like, it's going to be the biggest, it's going to be the best, it's going to be the greatest. Like, our health care plan is going to be phenomenal, it's going to be better for everybody. We're going to pass it, no problem, can't pass it. In any, they does it with any sort of legislation. It's the best. It's the greatest. I know about this thing specifically. I, I had to wait till I had all the details. And knowing them well, you know, no details. He doesn't know about anything. Um, and literally everyone knows more information than he does. And he's still just upsell. The majority of the people that, that voted for him are just going to take the upsell. Because, again, it kind of goes back to something I said earlier. People won't or choose not to take the time to evaluate things for themselves. So they're going to take what is being spoon-fed to them. Oh, this group is like this group? Lump them together. Oh, he says it's going to be the greatest? I'll take it. Lump it together. So it, for people that voted for him, a lot of them are just going to take it. Take it take the win. But for the Republicans that are in office, they got to deal with their constituents. And the constituents are giving them business as much as they can. You know what the craziest thing is about all this? Imagine if President Obama did half the stuff he did. Imagine if there was a tape leak that President Obama said he's going to grab some woman in her genitals. He would never made a White House. He might have been arrested. Might have, might have been. I think he would have been arrested. <laughs> he probably would have. He would have been arrested 
and the state would have charged him. Not the, <laughs> not the woman that would have that should have pressed charges. The state would have charged him for for I don't know legal terms, libel, slander, uh, endangerment of the community, whatever. The fact the, they would have made something up. The fact that President Obama, as a as a black man, would not be able to get away with some of the things that. 45 has clearly gotten away with is the exact definition of white privilege in America. That's all. Yeah, 100%. It, 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 it really is. To, to, to Wise's point, these, these midterm elections are going to be interesting because you can always see some of the Republicans, even though they're kind of doing indirectly and actually some directly because John McCain is speaking out against what Trump is saying. Um, shoot, John McCain was the reason why the, the health care bill didn't pass or, 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 or move forward. Uh, Paul Ryan tweeted some stuff last night right after the president's speech, um, kind of counteracting what the president was saying. So I think you're going to start seeing a lot more, one, because the stuff that Trump is saying is just incorrect and, and doesn't fit American values, but they also have to start thinking about, like, their constituents and their own areas aren't as in the same political mindset that his administration is representing. So they're going to have a hard time, you know, going forward if they're going to campaign that they're going to do the same things that Trump is currently doing or go along with, with what he's saying. I don't know about that. And, and this is why I'll say why, because I don't think the Democrats have gotten their stuff together yet be quite honest, to be able to take advantage of this in 2000, um, essentially at the midterm elections 2018, because they're still essentially, I mean, they can't really be distinguished from Republicans because they're still, you know, trying to move to the center instead of what they should be doing is shoring up their base and moving further, at least in my opinion, moving further to the left to distinguish themselves from their Republican counterparts. I mean, he said all this to this point in time and they still have stuck with him. I mean, you could put up a tweet saying, hey, I don't agree with that. But, you know, that's essentially not enough for you to do if that's how you feel, if you really have that moral compass to mm-hmm. be able to stand up to um, the president. 45. I think they had a campaign rally with uh, Paul Ryan that was going to um, happen, I-, I believe, in Wisconsin. And the leak came out about him, you know, grabbing a woman in her private parts, basically. And he said he canceled. It. He said, I'm not meeting with him anymore. And as soon as he gets elected, you know, you know, when the first pictures, you know, they're taking a selfie, um, essentially taking a selfie with all the Republicans. I don't think the Republicans, the GOP has enough. I don't think they have enough to essentially stand up to him, basically, because they see him as I think they see him as their his mil, their mill ticket because the Trump supporters are not going to vote Democrat at all. Essentially, I don't know why the Democrats are still trying to get Trump supporters by um, showing all this and say this uh, this is how he is. You know, this is not the type of guy that you should be essentially want to represent you. But I, I don't believe that Republicans are going to just back away from him like that because they haven't done it yet. I, I guess I don't think of it as the, the staunch Republicans. It's a lot more of the independents that went wrong, along with it. Facts. Um, facts. In, in, in the, the general election. Like the, the one thing I did see at one point is that Democrats are starting to raise a lot of, of money um, carried this early in, in the whole 2018 uh, midterm. So granted, I think, like you said, that they need a little bit better leadership 
especially within the actual Democratic committee. I think it's more so going to be they're not the Republicans. And I think that's probably a little bit of the problem. Trump has created such a, a, a divisive brand for Republicans. How can you go with them right now? Like, if, if this is what Republicans are now in 2017, it's going to be, I think, harder for some to agree with what the party itself stands for. Unless you can paint Trump as the true outlier of the Republican Party, or is he the new definition of where it's going? I mean, I'd say that it is. It is. I, I feel like a lot of people who, I think a lot of people in that group either believe in it or they don't care about um, other people. Um, it don't matter, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it don't matter. Just, like, 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 no, I. I I get what you're saying, and yeah. I, I agree with it. Like the people in the group, it, it kind of goes back to the to the podcast we had over the weekend, right? It's it's a situation where the Republican Party is the NFL. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Like these are these are people that have grown up this way. Like you're supposed to be a Republican. Like you'll have your outliers that want that want to be socially conscious or do things that are better for the whole as opposed for the individual. But, I mean, let's be honest. Like, the normalization of alternative facts and being able, I'd say alternative facts with quotes, and being able to basically make up lies allows you to rationalize literally everything. Just say fake news and whatever an intelligent journalist said, it doesn't matter. It's fake news. Yep. He, he, he literally, Trump can have a press conference with, it doesn't matter who's there, every credible news source there, and if they ask a line of questioning that criticizes him or criticizes things that he said or criticizes a plan that he has, he says, he'll say whatever he wants to say and then say, it doesn't matter, you guys are all fake news anyway. And then it discredits any line of questioning or any, any sort of inference that they may be a questioning that anybody said and it's now become a part of our normal lexicon because so because of that republicans can stay republican they don't it don't matter because they can rationalize everything everything that he's done it's like oh well you know he didn't really say that or this is what he actually meant or everything can be rationalized so they they can stay that way unless they actually actively choose to to be better to not follow behind this man that clearly runs on hate, is promoted by hate, and stands upon that sort of platform, then they can stay in the party and be just fine because they can rationalize everything. That's the that's the day and age that we're in right now. You ever realize how much influence it is? <laughs> like what why you just said, how much influence it is for a single person to be able to cause everybody to discredit, or at least a good percentage of people to discredit anything that's said. Like, that's what's scary to me. Yeah. Because you can have the most professional person in the world up there telling you straight facts. And you can do it normal, you know, fake news or whatever. And there's going to be a good percentage, not everybody, but some people are actually intelligent, but there's going to be a good percentage of people that, like I think like that earlier, don't want to reach our things for themselves or don't care to. They're going to take what's going to take most. One person says something that they already agree with, they're going to continue to agree. Um. So he can just say one thing, and they all of a sudden, oh no, that's that's made up, or that's not true, and it's that other, and it's that's, that's terrifying, man. But that's essentially how dictators gain power. 
which is more so of his, I think, thought of what a president is, that he would say things and it would just happen because he's president. But our country doesn't necessarily operate like that. So, but he, he is finding his own way to essentially have kind of that voice, like he, like you said, Scott. But I, I would say that the only thing to come out of this that was kind of interesting is Obama put out one tweet and it's now the most liked tweet in the history of Twitter. That he's still that culturally relevant and, and understands what the country is feeling compared to who we have in office now. What was the tweet? It, it was a quote from Nelson Mandela. It, it, essentially, it was a picture of him in front of three kids um, of different races, um, and it spoke to how you know we're not taught to hate. We have to be taught to hate. They were not born to actually hate. It's it's definitely a lot that we went through. I, I wouldn't think in 2017 we'll be having a podcast talking about Nazis and and, and, and all of this. Um, you know, all of us, our, our parents aren't, you know, that old. Like, they've, they've lived through a lot of what this country has done. And our grandparents, you know, for me, my grandfather was in World War II. So he, he served during that time. These ideals aren't that old. We, I think we, we hope that we, we fought them off and, and we changed the country. But obviously, there's still work that we have to do. So I think that's really where kind of, this conversation wraps up that a lot of time has passed, but our generation is kind of next in line to, to keep the work going. So hopefully that this stuff doesn't happen again and we can actually affect some real change.